Okay, for this time, we have a, our second message is a sermon by Mr. Barnabas Grayson entitled Power and Law. Mr. Grayson. Good afternoon. Doyle is passing out some scriptures that I'm going to use today. I may not use all of them, but it will give you kind of a, a look ahead to the final part of the sermon. Glad you all made it this afternoon. The rain and the different directions we had to take. We went uh, a little bit longer, you know. was kind of in a hurry, too, not to be late. And uh, Carolyn was driving. She's, she's a good driver, so I trust her and everything. She knew her way. and uh, But I didn't look up. I was taking down some final notes for, for, the, for the sermon. But uh, you could see the, uh, the uh, you could hear the splashing of the water, and you could see those uh, power lines, those poles just zipping by, you know. <laughs> but we made it here, and it's good to see you all here under this, these conditions. As you can see, the title of this message is Power and Rule of Law, or Power and Law. And so I ask, what does the Bible teach about wickedness in high places? And how power can corrupt and cause that wickedness to manifest itself in, in different ways. But how do we escape this corruption in our own lives and that is in the world? Like money, the acquisition of power is a tempting draw and they also go hand in hand with each other. And many want all they can get and having wealth is often the means to having power in the society they live in. Throughout history, these two things, money and power, and we've heard the scripture, you know, money being the ruler of all evil, have often led to strife and to wars and to corruption in which people have suffered under, under someone else's misuse of riches and power. So the result can be dissension, it can be division, and ultimately, if it lasts long enough, can lead to destruction. Remember in the, uh, the book it says that, in the holy book it says that uh, I will break the power, the pride of your power. So sometimes it will come to a, a not a good end. First, let's look at the definition of power. Power is the ability to do something or act in a particular way. It's the having the capacity to influence other people in the direction that, uh, that they want to take, in the course that they want to see come forward. And from seemingly small areas like local governance, perhaps maybe, uh, you know, he might be president of, uh, of the class or maybe president of the Lions Club or whatever local organization there might be, there are positions in which uh, one can find himself uh, say, you know, hey, I'm a leader, I can, I, I, I'm made for this position. So it's that way from national offices to uh, kings or, or to presidents. So the power that comes with it is a, can be a draw. Of course, we know that there is a right and wrong use of power and a right or wrong motive for uh, seeking you know, power or wealth or whatever. But in all that, we might ask ourselves, well, you know, I'm not rich and I'm not powerful. I, I have no concern about it. Why, why should I worry about it? Because I don't ha I have no power to worry about. 
But the question is, with what little power we think we may have, are we using it in the right way? And do we know about that power? And so we ask ourselves, what power then do we have? What are we talking about? So today we'll look at these uh, questions to see what the Word of God says about power. And we'll do this by looking at some bits of history. Turn over to 1 Kings, or look up here on the wall, 1 Kings 3, and in verse 7. Let's go there. Verse 7, and now, O Lord God, this is uh, Solomon. O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of, instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. So Solomon was saying he was a little child in wisdom and experience. And he confessed he didn't know where to start or even where, where to finish his duties that he was going to be given and be responsible for. Verse 8, and your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people, a lot of people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? So Solomon was asking God for help, asking God for wisdom, asking God to know which way to go and which way to turn and, and how to uh, do things and how to finish them. And so this, uh, and the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And so in here we see how we too, when we begin our day or when we begin a duty or a service of some sort, how we can ask the same thing. And God said unto him, because you have asked this one thing and not nor and has not asked for yourself long life, neither has asked riches for yourself, nor has asked the life of thine enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to your words. Lo, I have given you a wise and an understanding heart. So God had heard the prayer, and he was answering. So that there was none like thee, so that there is none like thee before you, neither after you shall arise any uh, like unto you. And I have also given you that which you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto you all your days. And if you will walk, and if, you know, it's always if. If you will walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David did walk, then I will lengthen your days. Now, verse 15, we see where Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And so he came to Jerusalem, and he stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, and offered peace offerings, and made a feast to all of his servants. Then, familiar with his story perhaps, then came two women and, be, and said, my Lord, one of, them, one of the women said, my Lord, we both live in the same house, 
and I was delivered of a child with her in the house. Then after three days, I'm reading from verses 15 through uh, 22. Then three days after that, this woman was delivered a child also. There was none else in the house, and this woman's child died in the night because she laid upon it. Then at midnight she took my son from beside me as I slept, or as I was sleeping, and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I awoke to nurse my baby, it was dead. But when I had looked it over, it was not my son. And the other woman said, No, the living child is mine. The dead one is yours. So the other woman was protesting. And thus they said all these things before the king, who saw you know, that it was one against the other. So King Solomon had, had this test, uh, to, uh, this question to answer. How was he going to answer it? Because it was just one side against the other. Verse 24, And the king said, Bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in, in two. Perhaps asking them, Where do you want, what, what half do you want? and give half to the one and half to the other. Then spoke the woman whose living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son, and she said, O oh my Lord, give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Go ahead, cut it in half. Then the king answered and said, Give her the living child, in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof to this woman, you know, who, who said, uh, spare the child. It's a gruesome story when you think about it. But all of Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. To discern, you know, the right way and the, uh, between the uh, between the right and wrong. So we see how God gave Solomon the power of wisdom and understanding to use power in the right way. You know, remember Jesus had said to his disciples, "Ask and you shall receive." And how James had said, "If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God." Sometimes we forget that Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they be imbued with power from on high. So he was talking about power that the disciples were to receive. Now, we have Christians today have also been imbued, that is, filled or saturated with the power of the Holy Spirit of God and of Jesus Christ. Imbued is from a Latin word imbuere and it means saturate means saturate so we have a power that has saturated us that has given us refreshing life if we are willing to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit and we have a power that begins in each and every one of us that begins with ruling ourselves of controlling our habits that are that aren't good you know, in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, talk about love and, and joy, long-suffering, which is patience, and gentleness, 
goodness and faith, meekness and temperance. And it says against, against such there is no law, no penalties against using these, these things in life. And so all of these are rolled into one fruit of the Spirit. It's like taking, I, I, you know, maybe say like a, a, a drink where you've got different fruits mixed in with it. It's all in one drink. And so the Spirit of God is like that. Everything is rolled into one. Maybe a little less of this or a little less of that or more of this or more of that. But that's how we look at the Holy Spirit of God of love and peace because, you know, some of us probably may not have as much love as we would want to have. And so, we, you know, this needs more love or more sugar or whatever, so we put more into it. So we see in various ways as we live life how we come up kind of short in, in displaying these fruits of the Spirit. And we know that if these fruits of the Spirit were followed, there would be no misuse of power in our world today. Verse 24, in Galatians 5, it says that they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. So while we may think ourselves as powerless in many ways, we are not. You may look at yourself and say, well, I'm, I'm weak. I, I just don't have any power. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get started. But that's what the God of this world, Satan the devil, wants us to think. He wants us to believe that we are weak and that the fruits of the Holy Spirit of God don't go anywhere. But what they mean for us today is that we are in the process of learning to use the power of the Holy Spirit in the right way while overcoming the ways of selfishness and, and vanity and the desires of the flesh that lead to misuse of power. In Revelation 2.26, remember Jesus said uh, that he that overcometh will and keepeth my works unto the end to him will I give power over the nations. So we know that man can rule in whatever fashion he chooses or whatever he desires or however he, he dictates. He can be a dictator if he wants to be. He can be cruel and kill people and let his, you know, his passions take over him. You've heard the, the saying that absolute power does what? It corrupts. Power, absolute power corrupts. And when good men don't stand up, it won't stop. It'll go on or faster until it becomes a very big problem. I read this in a book, how Napoleon had ruled heavy-handed over Europe for two decades, killing millions along the way. It is said that he controlled everything. He controlled the press, the police, foreign policy, and government at home. That he was talented and strong, but it was his pride and self-centeredness that brought perils and death to many. But we are called to learn to control ourselves first by exercising the God-given power that makes for doing the right thing. In the kingdom of heaven to come, <clears throat> the saints of God, in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, will rule righteously and not with uh, misuse of power when they are awakened in that time, in that time of the resurrection, when we, with our eyes, are able to see the kingdom coming, Christ coming, 
his voice awaking us to the power of the resurrection. And then they will be able to carry out their duties over a great number of people because we see that in the Bible. So Jesus speaks of that time as a reward for overcoming as well as the gift of eternal life, everlasting life that is to come. But we see serious results can come from abuse of power. And so we see the Bible gives us examples that we can look at. One is, is dissension as one of the things that, that come up as a result of, of misuse of power. So we see this during the last few years of King Solomon's reign. Solomon had sown some dissension among the people when he used forced labor from the northern tribes. As we know, King Solomon, he, he was enamored by his uh, many loves of foreign women and, and the uh, strange gods that they had. So his wisdom was not always sure, and he happened to give Jeroboam some administrative power. So Jeroboam soon became a threat. He became a threat to the king, and he was causing and furthering that tension by playing upon the dissension that the people were already uh, uh, engaged in, and it was to their liking. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 26, And Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and Ephrathite of Zerida, Solomon's servant, whose mother's name was Zerah, a widow woman, even he lifted up his hand against the king. And, his, and this was the cause, that, uh, this was the reason that he lifted up his hand against the king. Because Solomon built Milo and repaired the breaches of the city of David, his father. Now Milo was a, a citadel. It was a fortress part of Jerusalem in which uh, King Solomon he levied uh, taxis to repair it, and he was using forced labor. Verse 28, and the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing the young man that he was industrious, he made him ruler over all the charge of the house of Joseph. So apparently King Solomon didn't uh, realize the ambition of Jeroboam. Once a little bit of power, once in a little bit of power, he could rise much higher. First Kings chapter 11 down in verse 40. So Solomon sought therefore to kill Jeroboam. And Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt unto Shishak king of Egypt and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. So he sought uh, uh, some sanctuary there in, in Egypt. And the rest of the acts of Solomon and all that he did in his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? And the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his stead. So <clears throat> all this had set the stage of the prophecy of Abijah, uh, or Ahijah, when he spoke and warned of division that was to come as a result of all these uh, going-ons. First Kings chapter 11 again, uh, back, uh, in verse 29, up in verse 29, and it came to pass at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah 
the Shilonite found him in the way, and he had clad himself with a new garment, and they too were alone in the field. And Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him and rent it in 12 pieces. So the garment he had in his hand, he tore it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take you 10 pieces. For thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give 10 tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because that they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and you see all of these strange gods that they were worshipping, and Milcom, the god of the children of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways. And so you see how these uh, false religions had begun to turn Israel away from God to do and to do that which lost my place and of the children of Ammon and have not walked in my ways to do that which is right in my eyes they had the power of God's word they saw what God could do they knew that God was their God and overlooking them but yet they were not doing what was right in his presence, what was right in his eyes. And to keep my statutes and my judgments as did David his father. Howbeit, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him prince all the days of, of his life for, for David my servant's sake, whom I chose because he kept my commandments and my statutes. So David was able to hand over reign of all overall Israel to Solomon but there was division and dissension between the northern and southern tribes now when King Solomon issued this policy of using forced labor from the northern tribes they became rebellious first Kings chapter 5 verse 12 and the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised him and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon and they too made a league together and the king and King Solomon raised a levy out of all Israel, and the levy was 30,000 men. And this eventually led to division. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 1. Now this is a long uh, chapter, and uh, I may paraphrase, paraphrase some of it. And Rehoboam, he went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he, for he was fled, or he had fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him, and, and Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel uh, came and spoke unto Rehoboam, Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make you the grievous service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put upon us lighter and we will serve you. And he said unto them, depart yet for three days, go, up, go away for three days and then come again to me. And so the people departed because he wanted to think it over, to give it some time, to give it about three days. And so King Rehoboam, what he did was he consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon uh, his father while he yet lived and said how do you advise that I may answer this people 
But unlike his father, he did not ask of God how he should rule and do what was right with the power he was now entrusted with. In verse 7, And they spoke unto him, saying, If you will be a servant unto this people, and will serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. So be a servant leader, they advised Rehoboam. So in essence, <clears throat> undo the harsh policies that his father had enacted, the policy of King Solomon. That way he would keep all the tribes loyal. But, verse 8, he forsook the counsel of the old men, which they had given him, and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him and which stood before him. So he had a cadre of friends. He had uh, uh, friends he had grown up with, whom he respected more than those who had, who had seen the problems that were created beforehand and were able to give good advice. In verse 9, and he said unto them, What counsel give you that we may answer this people, who have spoken to me, saying, Make the yoke which your father did put upon us lighter. And the young men that were grown up with him spoke unto him, saying, Thus shall you speak unto, the, unto this people, and that, and that speak unto you. So, you know, say these words to the people. Here's what you tell them. Your father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shall you say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. And now, whereas my father did laid you or load you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father has chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. So he was going to lay an even heavier burden upon the people as his way of instilling, you know, uh, uh, respect to him out of fear. So Jer Jerobo uh, Jeroboam made harsh words to go out. He had the power now, but he didn't need wisdom, but those of the young around him. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king had appointed, saying, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people roughly and forsook the old men's counsel that they gave him. And so it seemed to be that was Rehoboam's choice all along, and he, uh, he just probably needed the confirmation of those around him. But he did not really see the reality and the wisdom of those old men, the advisors in his father's reign. So verse 14, and spoke to them after the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, repeating what was said, and I will add to your yoke. I'm going to add to it. I'm going to give you more to it. My father chastised you with whips, and then I will chastise you with scorpions. And, you know, that's not the... Uh, literal scorpions I suppose one could probably you know grab a bunch of scorpions and toss them on somebody's body but what this is referring to are the lashes these lashes that had spikes in them so that when you were hit by these lashes you know they they really stung and the sting didn't go away for for the longest time verse 15 wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people he wasn't going to lighten their load at all for the cause which was from the Lord, that he might perform his saying, which the Lord spoke by Ahijah, the Shilonite, unto Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, the people answered the king, saying, Well, 
what portion have we in David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, let's go, you know. Uh, there's no inheritance. We don't have a portion. So see to your own house, David. So Israel departed unto their tents. But as for the children of Israel, which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. So this was a, what we see here was a cry from an earlier generation in which resentment had been growing all along. The northern tribes felt they did not belong to the house of David, represented by Rehoboam and Judah, or they didn't have any inheritance in the land. Verse 18, so King Rehoboam, he sent Adoram, who was over the tribute, over the taxes, the one who went and saw about the taxes. And all Israel, instead of you know, giving uh, him their, uh, their, tax, the ta their taxes, all Israel stoned him with stones that he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam made speed. He got up and hushed, uh, rushed up in his chariot, and he fled to Jerusalem. So Rehoboam did not fully realize the situation that he was facing. And he sent Adoram to his death rather than to make a speech and, and to collect taxes from the northern tribes in his behalf. So, so Rehoboam sped away save his own life, seeing how displeased the people were with him. Verse 19, So Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day, and it came to pass, when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, <clears throat> that they sent and called him unto the congregation and made him king over all Israel. And there was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. Now there's a lot of... Uh, disconnects here in the scriptures that I'm reading because you know you have to uh, hear a little there a little and piece together the history of Israel and Judah and the kings that, uh, that uh, ruled over them and, and the way they ruled. Verse 21 when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin this is what he went back to Jerusalem to do a hundred and fourscore thousand chosen men, which were warriors, to fight against the house of Israel to bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. So when Jeroboam went back to Jerusalem, it was to gather an army to hit back against the northern tribes. Verse 22, but the word of God came to Shemaiah, the, son of, the man of God, saying, say unto Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and unto all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up, nor fight against your brothers, the children of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing is from me. They hearkened therefore to the word of the Lord, and returned to depart according to the word of the Lord. So we see that Jeroboam, he was advised, you better not do this. So we see Rehoboam, as there are many examples or, you know, in the Bible of, of how power can corrupt and blind you to, uh, to things that should not be doing. But he had an opportunity to be a, you know, a great king, wielding power in the right way. But he misused it by not really considering the law of God. 
He listened to those, uh, the, the cronies that were around him who thought like he did. Verse, uh, let's go to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Here's another good question to look at and, and to uh, look and to see an answer. It asks, who is as the wise man? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. I counsel you to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God. Be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand not in an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? What are you doing? So, here, so you know, we, we, we're familiar with sayings like, you know, don't fight uh, City Hall or uh, go with the flow. You can't uh, uh, fight the powers that be. But whoso, in verse 5, but whoso keeps the commandment shall feel no evil thing. And, it, and a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. Who is as the wise man? The wise man's heart will discern uh, both time and judgment. There's a proper time and an appropriate time, and there is judgment to make as concerning right decisions. But the Lord is on their side, and they shall feel no evil thing. We know that in Romans 13 it said it exhorts us to obey uh, rulers. It says to let every soul be subject to the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnations. For rulers are not, to, uh, not a terror to good works, but to evil. Will you then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and you shall have praise uh, of the same. So it's really disobedience is a matter of expedience. Do what you can to get along with the powers that be, but that does not mean you go against the ordinances of God or the ways of God or the way the word of God tells us to live. So what if man said, you know, keep Sunday. You've got to keep Sunday. You can't worship on the Sabbath day, on a Saturday. Or you can't own a copy of the Bible. Or you don't have to obey the, the, the laws of God. So in that way, wrong power can go uh, to people's head. In Ephesians chapter 6, positions can be misused. In verse 5, we see where it says, you know, in some ways we are all servants to, you know, our masters. We all have jobs in which we have duties to perform to please our master or to please our boss. Servants be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers but as the selfs but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. <clears throat> with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, 
knowing that whatsoever good thing any man does, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And then it says about those who are bosses, about those who are masters, and you masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. And finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And so you can go on and read about how, you know, putting on the armor of God can help us deflect all of those satanic powers that we see uh, going on in the world. Another good question, Psalm 15. It asks, Lord, who shall abide in your tabernacle? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? Answer, he that walks uprightly and worketh or does righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He that slanders not with his tongue or backbiteth with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes, takes up a slur or reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors them that fear the Lord. He that swears to his own hurt and changes not. You know, we keep promises uh, even, if it, if, even if it hurts sometimes. He that puts not his money to usury, or he, he that lends uh, his money but not for usury, nor takes reward, that is a bribe, against the innocent. He that does these things shall never be moved. Verse 6, because to every purpose there is time and judgment, therefore the misery of man is great upon him. For he knows, verse 7, for he knows not that which shall be, for who can tell when it shall be? <clears throat> so no man knows the future. He doesn't know ahead of time what's going to happen. He might have a little inkling of something pending, but no man really exactly knows what the future holds. In the meanwhile, while uh, to disobey a king or the powers that be could mean death. So there is a time to judge for oneself a proper course of action. Verse 8, there is no man that has power over the spirit to retain the spirit. What does that mean? Well, this is speaking of, of the power of the wind. You know, we can't hold it back. We can't stop it. Once it blows, you know, there's no way to get in front of it and deflect it. Of course, you know, miracles do happen when you pray to God and, and the wind goes uh, another direction. So that's speaking of the power of the wind. We can't hold it back. We can't stop its course. Neither has he power in the day of death. We know when it's time to die and when, uh, when your call uh, is made. There's no power that can stop it. And there is no discharge in that war. That is, you know, the struggle against death. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. So there's no way of getting away from, the, from that battle against death, you know, or dying. And wickedness certainly will not deliver those who practice it or take it into their lives. So, you know, good and evil, we all die alike. In verse 9, all this have I seen. You know, the, the words of a, a man who's had the experience, who has seen these things. And I have, have I seen and applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun. There is a time wherein one man rules over another to his own hurt. 
as the, uh, the NIV expresses it, there is a time when man uh, lords it over to his own herd. Verse 10, So I saw the wicked buried, who had come and gone from the place of the holy, and they were forgotten in the city, where they had so done. This is also vanity. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, because, you know, he observed this. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Evil was rampant. And it seemed like there was no stopping it. It just kept going and building. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him but it shall not be well with the wicked. And in verse 14, there is a vanity which is done upon the earth that there be just men unto whom it happens according to the works of the wicked. Again, there be a wicked, uh, wicked men to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity. So it's a puzzle. The righteous get what the wicked deserve and the wicked get what should be to the righteous. So it was a puzzle. And so he uh, answers, he says, then I commended mirth, or joy, because a man has no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry, for that shall uh, abide with him, with him of his labor and days of his life which God gives him under the sun. But we have set before our eyes faith toward God. You read uh, through John 17, uh, chapter 1, uh, chapter 17, 1 through uh, 7, the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples when he lifted up his eyes to heaven and saying that, you know, the hour had come to glorify the Son and that he had given Jesus power over the flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as he had, uh, as many were called, as uh, given by God. And that includes, you know, those who hear the word of God, those who are in services to, to hear the word of God and to worship him in song and in fellowship. So we are to keep the words of God through Christ because in them we know that, they, that they're, it's a living word, that there is power and that there is life. And so in 2 Timothy, verse 1, 6 through 9, Timothy, uh, Paul is telling Timothy to uh, put you in remembrance to stir up the spirit or the gift of God which is in you by the putting on of my hands because God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells about the last days. Perilous times or dangerous times shall come because men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, so on and so on. Down to Romans chapter 15, I don't think I have this on your handout, but uh, it says there in verse 13, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so the Holy Spirit is a power that each and every one of us has in us. We may not call upon it as often as we should. We not, may not pray for it as often 
as it should. In times of, you know, of stress or, or things that are happening in our life that, in which we need God and we pray hard and sometimes it doesn't happen right away, but sooner or later, the power of God, you will recognize that his power has brought comfort and has brought solutions and he's brought answers. Because we know he sits, Jesus sits at the right hand of power and through him we have access more than what we think we have through God. So evil men and ways may dominate our lives in the future with their wicked power and ways, but it will come to an end if we look to Jesus. As we look to Jesus, our Savior, who will come, save us through peace and bring us peace and justice and law. But we must overcome our own selves so that we can use the power of God in a right way. Not only now, but in the future kingdom. James chapter 4 tells us to humble yourselves in, in the sight of the Lord. And that whoever exalts himself shall be abased, said Luke over in chapter 14. There was a, a 15th century writer, Francois Ribelais, I believe that's how he pronounces his last name, but I'm not sure. He wrote these words that were true to him in his time as it is in our life today. And he wrote, he said, how shall I be able to rule over others? if I have not uh, full power and command of myself. So have we gained control over our uh, power, over our, uh, the way we feel? Even in the little things in life. Through Christ we can do all things, as it says, but it has to be according to his will and not to ours. Because uh, as, as it says in the scriptures, to this man will I look, one that is humble and of a contrite uh, heart. Mark chapter 13 tells us that we should pray that this will not take place in the winter. This is from NIV, about 18. Because verse 22, they're, they're going to come false Christs and false prophets. And they're going to have the power to appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the very elect, if that were possible. So verse 23, so be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. Verse 33, be on guard, be alert. You don't know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with the assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. So we hear that word quite a bit, keep watch. Keep watch on ourselves, that we are following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. And if he comes suddenly, verse 36, if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. So what I say to you, I say to everyone, the words of Jesus, watch. And if you will enter your life, and this, you know, this, this is a law, the uh, uh, living words that bring life. And if you will enter into life, it says, keep the commandments from, you know, Matthew 19, uh, 17. So that's the end of this sermon. However, I have a scripture here. It says, remember Romans 12, 3, and, and I don't know, I don't remember it, so I'm going to return to it.
probably as I was watching those Highline poles fly by the window. I don't know because it's noted here in, in hastily written. Maybe something I shouldn't even read. But uh, Romans 12. Let's see what it says. Oh yes. Up in verse two. Uh, well, let me close with this. These three scriptures. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. You know, that's the ways of these world, this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. So we have a measure of faith, a measure of power. We just have to be able to put it in the right perspective and not use or misuse the powers that we do have. <clears throat>